anywhere else I speak. It's, uh, that's actually a, an understatement. <clears throat> um, there's something about uh, driving back from Denver, specifically on Friday when I'm driving back, and I know that the next time I'm going to do this, although I actually did some Friday night but, and last night, but the, the, the next time I'm going to get to do this is uh, in front of you guys. And this is, I, I don't the best way I can describe it is like, you know, it's kind of a <clears throat> cold morning. You wrap a nice big thick blanket around you, and it's nice and cozy. And that's what I, that's what I feel when I step up here. And uh, so, <clears throat> I know. That's as, that's as close as I'm going to get to telling you guys I love you. <clears throat> it's not going not gonna to happen. So um, the guys are going to pass these out to you. I'm going to talk about this at the end of the service. Okay? This, ha- this is, has to do with our, our um, capital campaign for uh, our, our expansion, our building, all of that kind of stuff. I'll talk about a little bit of that later. The reason I'm doing that this morning, I was going to do it a couple weekends ago, is because I'm actually talking about finances this morning. And uh, this, this is in continuing with this um, series that I've been doing about we have, there, there has to be certain foundations that we build. We have to, guys. We have to build these foundations as Christians. And the church in general, and a church at Bargate specifically, we have to build these foundations. We are we're just in a different place in our country than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, definitely. And... Um, the, there's a lot of, of, of pressure and stuff that, uh, that, that Satan is bringing to bear in a way that he's having more, um, he's having more influence than it seems like he's had in, in the past, okay? So this is something that God really has been speaking to me for months and months now. I talked about this some in November. I talked about this some in December, setting up this series that, that we're in right now, having to do with this. This is who we have to be as a church. We've got to, we've got to see... Um, we've got to, to build our foundation properly as the church. If, if we're not, and, I'm, and we're just one part of the church, right? But, but as Church of Briargate, that's the, what we can affect. And really, in, in a sense, we're not affecting um, Church of Briargate. You're, you're affecting yourself. Um, you, you, the individual, is making the decision. And you, and you really have got to build the, the healthy foundation. And all the stuff that I've been talking about over the last few weeks, this is the foundation. If you take any of this stuff away and you say, well, I can... I can live my life for the Lord, and yes, I am, I am planted on the rock, right? I built my house upon the rock. Not the sand, but I built my house upon the rock. Well, there is, there is a validity to that as long as you, there, it is, it is, there's a healthy completeness within scriptural context. In other words, your foundation. So some of the subjects I've talked about over the last few weeks, um, prayer and, and being founded upon God's word and holiness and these things, if... If one of those pieces of that foundation, I'm going to talk about finances today. If one of those pieces of that foundation is not strong and solid, it's going to be like an hourglass. That's where everything's going to cave into. And that's where Satan's going to attack you the most because that's your weak point. He knows he's got you there. And so he's going to attack there and attack there. And you can have very, very, very strong foundation in some of these areas of your existence. But it's going to go to the weakest point. And Satan's going to attack there, and then it caves in at that particular point. Okay? So you can't pull prayer out and say, well, I'm completely dedicated to God, but I don't pray. Right? Um, I'm completely dedicated to God, but I'm not, I'm not really a Bible reader person. Now, I've actually had a few people say that over the years, 
because they don't, they're not readers. And I understand that dyslexia, things like that, um, attention span stuff. I get there's some legitimate reasons there, but that's not actually a, a real excuse because there's Bible online. You can turn your Bible app on and listen to it. So there's, there's only so much of those even are legitimate reasons, excuses. Well, here's the thing. When it comes to finances, <clears throat> we can, this is where I've had, I've seen this for years now, decades, where that will be something that people will argue out. They don't, they don't normally stand up like holiness. They don't normally stand up and say, Pastor, I know that the Bible talks about holiness, but I reserve the right to cheat on my spouse because that's what I want to do. I, you don't usually hear that like in testimony times and uh, Wednesday night discussions and stuff. But it's interesting how we, for some reason, we've allowed our brains, or, or maybe the church has allowed this, I don't know, um, to to make argument that says, yes, I know what God's word says about finances, but I'm just going to do my own thing. Well, that's, that's a crumbling area of foundation, and that's where it'll all cave in at that particular time. I've seen this for years. Some people have uh, struggled with finances. Some people don't. I'm saying within the biblical context. Some people have struggles with other areas. If this is your struggle, pay attention this morning on a spiritual level, not just a cognitive level, and let the Holy Spirit speak some stuff to you. Let him, let him show you some stuff, enlighten you, uh, motivate you, all that kind of thing. So I, uh, like I said, I've been, I've been really processing a lot of this for about six, six months or well, more than that. And um, I mentioned this November, December, and in this series that we're in right now. But I want to say this, and you, and you that have been around here for a, a while, if you've been around here the full length of the 11 years I've been here, you may have heard me say this once, maybe twice. Once that I know for sure. The reason I'm saying this is I do not say this very often. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that God has put on my heart as a precursor to this. It's a precursor to this series, actually. Is, um, and I believe that it is prophetic, and I believe it's a word of knowledge from God. Okay? So, so if you've been around here, you know I don't say that. I don't play with that. Um, I take very seriously uh, when I hear that even. But I do know... That, and I think this has been a culmination, but I think that it's, it's, we're about to go into another level of this. I think Satan has been attacking the church and sifting the church and all this for a long time. But I believe specifically that, that not Church of Briargate, but we're part of it. Okay, so yes, Church of Briargate, but not this. It's not specific. That Satan is going to sift the church in America. And I think that's been happening, but I think, I think that um, God has, and, and this is from what Jesus said to Peter, right? that God has given Satan the permission to sift the church like wheat, right? And here's the thing is, what are we going to do? How are we going to be on the other side of this? Now, this is actually not a bad thing, okay? It's not a fun thing. It's not an exciting thing to go toward, specifically when, when we say this as a church here and then specifically as individuals within the church here because, because Satan doesn't sift a, uh, a um, collected mentality of a body of people, the church. You can't sift the church. When he sifts the church, what is he doing? Sifting people, you and me. And so the way this interacts with us individually is the fact that as, as long as we do what Jesus has told us to do, stand firm with Christ. And God, guys, this is not just like doing the church stuff. 
Okay, we have got to break that mold in American church thinking. This is not just going to church and, and, um, and, and doing some things and, and you know, praying over your meal. And stuff. I'm saying you're going to have to be chasing after God. You're going to have to be pursuing him and listening to his voice and listening to the word. If you, if you do that and you stay strong, and this is, this is why these foundations are so important. If you build this foundation the way you're supposed to, you, you will be okay on the other side of this. This is not a, this is not a oh, the sky is falling. It's not that. It's, it's, it's about to get a little difficult, but you're going to be amazed at who you are on the other side of this. I, I've... I've seen this in all kinds of different settings. You talk to you talk to a military special forces guys. They know going into like seals, going into buds. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be the most difficult they've ever experienced in their whole life. But when they come out on the other side, they're different. They have a they have a resilience and a strength that cannot be touched because it's been tried by fire. I think that's that's where we are. We have the opportunity. Um, stand in Christ. You will not be defeated. Satan wants to cause division, which leads to destruction. That's his, that's his, um, that's his MO. That's what he does. Right now, this is the way he does it personally is I've I've been talking the last few weeks. You've got, um, your flesh, your, your body is part of your flesh, but that's not limited to, you've got the worldly system in the flesh that is speaking to your soul and trying to drag you toward Satan. Then you've got your spirit, which is the part of you that connects and communes with God, and, and that's trying to drag your soul toward Jesus, right? The division is, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, when you begin to listen to what Satan is telling you, and he starts telling you things that God isn't, and God can't, he's not big enough, he's, you, you've, been, you've been hung out to dry, um, there's, a, there's a worship song I've been listening to a lot lately. It's pretty simple, but um, it's just talking about he won't fail you. See, Satan wants to cause division, even within yourself, because then that'll cause division in like your marriage and uh, your relationships, your church, everything, is he begins to tell you that, that Satan might just be bigger than God. He might actually be able to defeat you. Or just get you distracted so much that all you focus on is a religious context instead of who Jesus is. All right, so let's, let's look at this. For us to be the people God created to be, this is, this is where we're focusing on this year. People of faith, people of witness, and people of purpose. This is going to be more today. This is going to be more about the purpose, and I'm, and I'm explaining different ones of these as we go. This is a people of faith and people of purpose. I think there's an intrinsic witness mentality in everything I'm going to say this morning, but we'll, we'll leave that off to the side, okay? Finances, personal finances, how you look at money, how you look at um, all things money, okay? I'm going to look at, I'm going to go do a lot of stuff. We discussed this quite a bit Wednesday night, looked at all kinds of things, mostly about the intent of the heart, where our heart is with this, and we're going to focus on that too. But, but finances, I heard this statement years ago. I was in my 20s. This guy said this, and I still think about it today, and, and I'm going to say it, and it's going to mess with you for potentially ever. But, and I want it to, but here's the thing is I ask myself so many questions around this statement, so many different questions. I'll, I'll throw a few out there, but this guy said, I have found he was a really old guy. I was in my 20s. He was probably like 50s at that time. He seemed like 120, but you know when you're 
22, it looks different. But he said, there's, two, there's uh, something I found when it comes to people and money. He said, I've, I found that there's two types of people in this world. There's givers and there's takers. And that kind of messed my world up a little bit. Because what's the first question I'm going to ask myself? It should be the first one you ask. Which am I? Am I a giver or am I a taker? How do I look at life? And then all these questions, because this is how my brain works. All these different questions start coming out. Well, can you be a giver in some circumstances and a taker in some circumstances? Is that, is that uh, the, the overarching who I am? Is there exceptions to the rule? For, for example, I'm in a different place of life than I've ever been. I am a grandfather. My grandkids say to me, Papa, I want this. I'm like, you got it. No matter what it is. Sure. I was thinking about, for some reason, I was thinking about this in the middle of the night last night. I woke up, and I remember I used to give my, my granddaughter, when she was like one, I would take her sippy cup, but you got to pop the little plastic part out that causes the pressure vacuum thing so it doesn't leak. you got to pop that out to be able to put Dr. Pepper in their sippy cup. <laughs> and she would always come to me, Dr. Pepper, I'm like, no problem. So what if it's 8 o'clock at night? Dr. Pepper. And then my, I, I'm, I'm sitting there pouring, and I look up, my son's standing there going, she, she wanted Dr. Pepper. And I'm big enough to get it for her. By the way, I'm still big enough to take you, fat boy. So, no, I <clears throat> We do have that conversation every now and then. <laughs> But, but here's the thing is, can I be a giver like in that circumstance? I'm worried about when my grandkids like turn 16. I'm like, Grandpa, I want a car. Well, I have one. You can have mine. I'll walk to the Capitol. It doesn't matter. But can you be a giver and maybe be a, a taker in other areas? I mean, I really, and by the way, I don't have the answers to this. I just process. This is a thinking thing that I process on a regular basis because I catch myself sometimes being a giver and sometimes being a taker. But is there overarching? See, here's the thing that happens to us is all of the different areas of our life, we make decisions. Every single thing, we make decisions. And then you live by those decisions. That's how simple it is. Nobody can make you be a person of prayer. Nobody can make you be a person of, uh, of the word. Nobody can make you be a person of holiness. Nobody can make you be a, a, a obedient, financially obedient person to Scripture. You decide that stuff. But there are consequences for every single one of those decisions. There's positive, amazing directions God takes us, or we stop that up, we hinder that, and that becomes a weak, crumbling part of our foundation. Okay. So why, why, are, why are finances so difficult for some people and not others? I've seen this. I've seen this so many times over the years. There's just some people that are, that are just like, yeah, I'm going to do what God says, and that's the way it is. That's just it. Sometimes you got to process that. Sometimes you've got to think about it. One of the things we brought up Wednesday night is one of the reasons that people can struggle financially in being obedient to God is because they haven't been taught properly. Well, that's part of what this morning is about. I'm going to try to teach on this. Okay? Uh, some people, it's because they, they really have not just let go and get, let God be in charge. And if you really look at this, it's probably affecting many other areas in their life where they're holding on and control and control. And we have this idea that somehow if we really control our finances, then we're really the master over our finances. 
You know how you know how flimsy that argument is. Had a good I have a good friend of mine that was a pilot for United on uh, 9/11, and uh, he's one of the board members in our church. And he came in the, uh, like two weeks later, and he said they just took all of our retirement, all of our retirement, just took it. And so then I'm thinking, is that legal? And he said, it doesn't matter. They took it. Years and years and years of retirement he built up. And he said, nothing. Nothing now. Guys, the stock market falls. There's all kinds of stuff. Be careful when you think you actually are the master of the arena of finances. It's it's flimsy at best. Very flimsy. That's why I invest in bacon and eggs. Bacon because I want to return and eggs because that's where the money's at. <laughs> Some other reasons why people struggle being obedient to God financially. Sometimes, guys, let's just own this. It, um, it's greed, selfishness. I'm going to do what I want, and I don't, I don't need anybody else telling me, including God, I don't need anybody else telling me what to do. That's a very dangerous place to be. I, I, I can't imagine that. Um, it, in fact, it makes my skin crawl to think about it. That we're going to tell God, God, I got this. I do not need you. And that's scary. So let's break this down a little bit. God is specifically intentional about finances. He talks about this a lot. We talked about it some Wednesday night in a bunch of different scriptures that Jesus said. Well, I won't go over all those. But let's go to Luke chapter 19. God is specifically intentional about finances. In verse 11, the crowd was listening to, every, to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. Right there, we even see this a few different places in the New Testament where Jesus addresses the fact that, that when he would say something or when somebody else would say something, that people thought that meant Jesus was coming back when this generation of the New Testament was still alive. Okay? Um, Peter and John have this little discourse there, and Jesus says, you've misunderstood the whole thing. Right? This is one of those things where he's saying, this is not what's happening. I'm not coming back right now. I am coming back in a specific generation, and I'll tell you more about that later. That's what he says, right? And then he does in places like Matthew 24, 25. So he said, um, um, he said, a nobleman was called away to a a distant empire to be crowned king and then returned. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants, and he divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. Now, there, this does include things like uh, gifts and talents and abilities of people, but there are other places in the New Testament that are very specific to gifts and talents and abilities. This one specifically is referencing money, too. You keep that separate. When you're looking at Scripture, if you, if you want one that's only about gifts and talents, abilities, and things like that, there are other places in the New Testament for that. But the fact that he puts so much emphasis on the financial shows us that he has an intentionality when it comes to him giving us finances, us having finances, finances, and us doing stuff with these finances. He, he, does not, he doesn't want us to be... Um, Laissez-faire with this about that. He wants us to be intentional. He wants us to be specific. He wants us to be intelligent and educated about what we do with our finances. Okay? He's, he's very clear about this, not just here, but all through Scripture. Right? Okay. He said, uh, invest this for me while I'm gone. That's his intention still today. 
The reason that he gives us finances is because he wants us to do things specifically with it. And that starts with, um, with uh, obedience and humility before God's word about finances. He wants you to be intentional. He wants you to do the things like tithing that he's told us. But he also wants you to be intentional about what you're doing in a broad sense financially. And I don't think the church does very good with that. Okay, let, let me just throw this out here because I think this is important. One of the things about our building... We're going to talk about this a little bit at the end. But if you've been around here any length of time, you know we don't really do these like big capital campaign pushes and we're sending you emails and we're calling you and I'm talking about it every weekend and, you know, we got the big thermometer and it's going up and all that. I, I can't stand that stuff in the church. Now, there, I, I've had um, leaders over the years, many board members over 25 years discuss this with me, and I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. This is the way I look at it. If I have to beg you to do something God is asking you to do, I'm really the one that's wrong. Somewhere I've stepped out of line. I'm, maybe I'm not teaching properly. Maybe I'm not something. But to, to beg people to give, I don't get that. You, you, you're an adult. You make a decision. You either, you either believe in tithing or you don't. That's how simple it is. I'm going to give you all the things that you better pay attention to because it's God's word and tithing is supposed to happen. But if you don't believe it, don't believe it. Now, when it goes to other things, offering stuff, and I'll explain this, and building funds and stuff, it's your choice. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says give to a building. It does say you got really nice houses. Why aren't you building my house, God said. It does say stuff like that just to convict us. But, but you've got to make your decision. You've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What all I can do is say you better start in the Bible, not in your mind, your heart, or your flesh or anything else. Invest this while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be king. I love the fact that the next sentence says, after he was crowned king... I think about this every day up at the Capitol. It does not matter how many people there hate God, hate everything about Scripture, hate Jesus, hate everything about him. They want to murder the babies. They want to control families and take parents' rights away. All this stuff, it's every day, every conversation. Here's the reality. You can fight against Jesus all day long. He's still the king. He's still the king. And you and I and everybody in this state and everybody in, in the capital, everybody in Washington, D.C., every ruler of every country is going to bow before the king. Whether we like it or not, he is the king. What I have found is if you just get on his team, you really enjoy him being the king. It's when you fight against him being the king that's the problem. They didn't want him to be king. He said, well, after he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out where their profits were. Because why? This, God is concerned about this. God made financial systems. There's, no, there's nothing that was ever made that God didn't make. Every, every dollar, yen, uh, quacha, uh, uh, rand, pound, everything, God made financial systems. We didn't come up with this stuff. God did this. And he's still in charge of all those, by the way. But, but we get this thing, we're like, nah, I'm, I'm kind of in control. You're, you're not. 
And he says, I want to see what you did with the money that I created and then I gave to you. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. This was a servant. This is important. This is a servant. And, and the king says, well done. You're a good servant. You have been faithful to the little that I entrusted to you. So you will be governor of ten cities. I didn't see that one coming. I can understand when you say, well, I'm going to give you a little bit of this back and, and um, we're, we're going to buy you a new bicycle. Or so, I mean, I can understand that kind of thinking. But he takes this servant that had done what God expected him to do financially, and he says, I'm going to make you governor over 10 provinces. Same thing happens with the next guy. Uh, the next servant reported, Master, I've invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. Now, this is very important. I, I, I really processed this years, years ago, and I was working through this over a handful of years and processing this out. What does it mean to be um, in leadership? What does it mean for God to use you in different circumstances and different settings? According to this, and this is all through Scripture, but according to this right here, he says... I, and this is one, finances is what he's talking about, but it's actually one of many things that the Lord does this with. He says, I'm going to give you these finances. What do you do with them? And then he says, see, we always think, and specifically in hyper-faith mentalities, and there is scriptural context for a basic idea of this, but we think that everything we do financially, that the return is always directly financially. Right? That's why you hear stories about, well, I gave $100 to this pastor that needed this. And I, I can't stand when televangelists start that stuff. But So I gave $100, and the next day I got a $1,000 check in the mail. I love those stories because they're amazing, they're great, and everything. But I've got a lot of stories where I gave everything I had. I, one time in particular in the mid-90s, when I resigned as a youth pastor, I was resisting God wanting me to be a lead pastor. And so God was like, okay, then you're going to hang out here uh, driving this dump truck until you get this through your head. That is literally what God was doing with me. It took about six months. And, um, <clears throat> and the whole time I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm making it, I'm, I'm not, I don't even have a bank account. I'm, I'm cashing checks and paying stuff with money orders cash because I'm so broke. And I'm standing in a church service in East Texas and uh, God says to me, I want you to give everything that you have in your wallet. Well, I, that stuff was already, that was going to a bill the next day. I want you to give everything you have in your wallet. And I, I did not want to do that. I just start crying. I don't cry often. But I'm just standing in that church crying. And I'm thinking, God, I can't do it. How am I going to pay that bill? It's due tomorrow. How am I going to pay that bill? I look over at Linda, she's crying, she looks at me and she says, you're supposed to give all the money in your wallet, aren't you? I'm like, <laughs> which made it a little bit easier because at least I wasn't crazy, right? <laughs> Linda is the Holy Spirit most of the time in my life. So I gave every bit of it. $136, I think. Gave every bit of it. Didn't help that. That was a massive church. Didn't help them at all. But that's not what it's about. It's never about that. Guys, be careful that you don't let I gave my money to that church be about that church. It's not. It's a spiritual principle. And guess what? To this day, I've never got my 10 times check. <laughs> I remind God every now and then. I mean, like, 
so-and-so got a 10 times check. Why didn't I get a 10 times check? If, if that's what you think God is trying to do, you've missed the point. Sometimes all he wants you to do is humble yourself before the king and say, king, I trust you. I don't trust my paycheck. I don't trust my ability to make money. I trust you. Why? Because you're the, you're the giver of all things. You realize you, don't, you wouldn't even have a job if God didn't make it possible. Now, we don't think like that in America. Well, I went, I went to college, and I got this thing. I went and got this job, and I uh, applied, and I think God didn't do any of that. Ah, be careful. The air you breathe comes from God. The cells in your body comes from God. The cells in your brain comes from God. The ability to do something comes from God. Be careful when you think it's you that's in charge of all this. And, and here's where it all worked out to me years ago was I realized God will put you into places and things and positions and responsibilities and authorities when he can trust you. And if he can't trust you, and finances is only one part of this, if he can't trust you, he won't put you there. Because if you've got a crumbling foundation in certain areas and he puts you there, it's going to crash and burn right there because Satan is going to make sure that it does. And I had years ago, 1996, 97, I'd just been voted into a position here in Colorado as a uh, um, presbyter, which is a, like a geographical region of leadership. Um, I was about to say over churches, but it's not really how it works in the Assemblies of God, but with churches. I'm, I'm a kid. The next youngest guy is like 45 or something like that. And um, coming to this meeting, in the very first meeting, we dismissed um, six or seven ministers due to moral failure. That was my first meeting. I'm like, is this normal? Now, it was a, they told me, yeah, it's not normal. This is kind of high. But, um, but, it, but it's pretty consistent that something like that's going to be happening. It, it rocked my world. I called Linda from the hotel that night. I'm crying. I, don't, I told her, I said, what makes me any different than any of those people? What? Only arrogance would say, I'm not susceptible to that like they are. And the next day we go back, and this is still part of the meetings, and um, a pastor used to be here in Colorado Springs. He still lives here now. But uh, Don Steiger, our church came from the church that he pastored. Our church was planted out of that. But he said this, and, and it stuck with me. He said, what, what, the problem that we're having here is we're allowing our sphere of influence to get bigger than our personal morality. We can't handle the influence. And this is, this is what pastors chase. I want to write a book, and I want to be on TV, and I want to be rich, and I want to have a mega church, and I want all this. But, they, but they're not focusing on what the Lord wants from them, which oftentimes is not that stuff. By the way, just because a pastor becomes famous and pastors a big church does not mean he's walking with God. Okay, I think, I think you watch the news enough to know that, Okay. In fact, sometimes the reason they get that successful is because they're not following God. But here's the, the reality of that. Their, their power of morality is not, it's not carrying them. This is the way, it took me a while to get this years ago, but I finally got to the point where I began to pray, God, don't ever let my sphere of influence get anywhere near the size of my personal relationship with you. My, my personal morality. 
I would rather be a nothing forever. But when I step into the presence of Jesus, he says, man, you did a great job. Nobody else notices, pays attention, knows my name. Don't ever be anything. But I'm walking with Jesus. As this is what we see. This is what we see when it comes to finances. We get so influential and we get so arrogant within that influence that we really think that this is all my money and that I can do whatever I want and that uh, my power resides within that. It doesn't. You can be the wealthiest person on the planet. That doesn't mean that you're special in any way. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean you're, you're a great spiritual person. It doesn't mean you are, are founded in the Word of God. It doesn't mean you're walking in holiness. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means you got a lot of money. And by the way, having a lot of money is not bad. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. But when you start thinking you're the master of that destiny, now you got a problem. Right? The third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with. Now, let's put this perspective right. This isn't a man that is saying this. This is a parable that Jesus is talking about himself, about people saying that about him. Did you follow me on that? Jesus is saying, these people say this about me. What do they say about Jesus? You're a hard man to deal with. I still hear that stuff nowadays. Taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. So here's the question. Name one crop on the planet right now that Jesus would harvest that he didn't plant. And we say, well, farmers plant crops. Do they? Well, I mean, sure, they put the seed in the ground, but who made the dirt? Who made the sun? Who made the water? You know, and, and, and I have this, I have had this conversation. Somebody says, well, we can make dirt. You break up rocks. Ah, you're still using Jesus' stuff. Use your own stuff and make dirt. And once you get that done, then use your own stuff and make water. You can't use hydrogen and oxygen. Jesus made that. you got to use your own stuff. We can be so arrogant sometimes. And Jesus is saying, you, you're saying I take crops I didn't harvest? Years ago, I did this um, illustration. I'd worked this out. I, I don't do it anymore because it, it didn't work well. But I'll tell you about it. So I had one of my board members in the church, and he, he, um, he, he, right in the middle of service, he stops me. I just started preaching. He stops me, and he said, hey, Pastor, um, there's some uh, uh, candy in the office for the youth group. Can I borrow a dollar? I want to go buy a bag of Skittles. I'm like, sure. Pull out a dollar, hand it to him. He goes and gets the Skittles, comes and sits right down on the front seat right here, and he starts eating those Skittles. And every now and then I say, hey, Tim, can I have a Skittle? No, these are mine. Tim, can I have a Skittle? No, these are mine. The point I'm trying to make is we do this to God. God gives us everything. He creates the Skittles. He creates your ability to eat them and gives you taste buds to enjoy them. Do you, I, I pray this all the time when I'm praying for my food. God, thank you for making food taste good. People think I'm joking. I'm serious about that. Food does not have to taste good. I was in the Navy, I know. God, thank you for good-tasting food, right? 
We take so much for granted. He gives us everything. He gives us the ability to eat the candy. He does everything. And then he gives us the, the wherewithal to pay for it or to accumulate it. And we want to hold it all and say, God, I'm not giving you one Skittle back. They're all mine. You, do you realize how weird to God that sounds? He's like, really? You own everything? You own all the cows on a thousand hills? You made the planet? You made the air you breathe? You made the sky? You made everything? This is all yours? And then we get upset because we think God is being stingy because he wants a Skittle. This is God. Have you ever wondered what God eats in heaven? I bet it's better than Skittles. I bet it's up in the bacon category. I know I struggle with the whole Jewish, and I get that. But we're saying God, I, it's, God's being stingy when he wants one tiny little tenth back of what he gives us. Think about the ignorance. The reason the thing went bad is because there was this older lady sitting in the back, and she was getting really mad at Tim because Tim would not give me any Skittles. And so she finally calls this kid over, and the kid understood the illustration, so he was struggling with this. She calls this kid over and, and takes a cough drop out of her purse and says, go give this to Pastor. That guy won't give him anything. <laughs> and this kid walks up. <laughs> so I don't do that illustration. <laughs> then turning to the other standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But Master, they replied, he already has 10 pounds. You know how I've seen this forever, how easy it is for church people to get upset and jealous at other church people because they have more stuff. Because they have more money. This is not the only reason, but here's one you better process. Maybe, just maybe, God can trust them more. It's kind of quiet in here. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for me, these enemies of mine... He doesn't have to include verse 27. He just does because he's the king and he can. And he says, as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in here and execute them right in front of me. You know why? Because he is the king. And it doesn't matter whether you like that, don't want that to happen. He is the king. I want to stand up sometimes in the house and just shout, you can do whatever you want, but Jesus is still the king. But that's out of order, so... Second thing, God is pretty serious about finances. Malachi chapter 3. I am the Lord and I do not change. You know, we quote that scripture all the time. It is other places in the scripture. But we quote that all the time. But it's interesting that we never quote it when it comes to money. But this is specifically what this is, section of scripture is about. He says, I am the God and I do not change. And it's about money that he's talking. That is why you descendants of Jacob are, are not already destroyed. Thank you, Lord. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Because why? He's graceful. God can be very upset at us, but he's going to give us a way back. We can resist him, shake our fist at him, live our own life, live in sin, do whatever we want. And, and God is not okay with any of that. And his judgment will be on us when we are doing that. But it's amazing because... He will always provide a graceful path back to him. Of which I am very thankful and I assume all of us in here are. But he says, but you ask, the people ask, God, 
How can we return to you, Lord, when we have never gone away? Man, that's, that's some narcissism right there. God just said, you've left him. And you say, we didn't, God. You must be mistaken. We're right here. We've been here the whole time. What about the scripture that says, we were casting out demons in your name. We were healing the sick. And Jesus said, but I never knew you. This is, this is the biggest danger. This is what Revelation is talking about, lukewarm. This is the biggest danger the church is ever going to struggle with is we assume everything is okay when it is not, when actually we've turned against him. Should people cheat God? Yet yeah, you cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did, you, when did we ever cheat you? Here's how we cheat God. You have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. It's, it, there's no simpler way God can say that. If we are not being obedient to this scripture, if we're not being obedient to the scriptures that talk about how financially we're supposed to do what God has told us to do, guys, we're cheating God. We're robbing from God. There's no other way you can get around it. You can make your own decisions because you're an adult. But that doesn't mean you're not cheating God. Okay, so... He says, you are under a curse for your whole, nation is, your whole nation has been cheating me. And I do want to mention also, it says that um, you've been cheating me of the tithes and the offerings. Those are different things. So I get some of these questions. So let me just unpack some of these real quick. I get these questions of pastor over time. Um, uh, does it matter how much we tithe? Well, the actual definition of the word is tenth. That's what tithe means, the tenth. Another way you could see that is you've robbed me of the tenth. That's a correct way to translate that scripture. So it's not an ambiguous number that's just floating around out there. God is specific. It's 10%. 10% of what? He says later um, that you bring these tithes into the storehouse. This 10% comes in the church. 10% of what? Scripture says it's your increase. So now we're in a different place we were are now than we were then when it comes to economy, God's economy and stuff like that. It's the same for God, but it's different for us. We're not growing crops and raising cows and things like that. I mean, some of you may, but it's not your only, well, it may be. But most people go to jobs and get a paycheck. And that paycheck is, is your increase. But here's the interesting thing. All three of my children did this. All three of my children came to me with this conversation once they started working, okay? Um, the biggest was my oldest son. This made him so angry. He was working at, I think, McDonald's. That was his first job. He was working at McDonald's. And he came home with his first paycheck. We went out to dinner to celebrate his first. He's like, $75. I don't know what it was. But he comes home with his first paycheck. He's excited. And he's like, Dad, look at this. But here's something. What are these other things? They're, somebody's taking my money. Somebody took out $7 here and $9 here. What is that? So I had to address two different things. One is the lack of the teachers teaching specifics in their schools. And the second thing is, Jonathan, that's called the government. And they're taking your money. Now here's the thing, which by the way, I, I've said this for years. I believe that, that we should go back. The reason they take the, the taxes out of your paycheck before you ever see it is because we're like, we're like, Dumb cows that walk along going, okay. And we really think that, the, that our money is what's left over. But that money they took is yours too. 
It's your money. I, I think we should all go back to having to pay, not automatic deposits, the same thing, but go back to like writing a physical checkout or taking cash and paying your taxes with that. Every paycheck, you have to write out your taxes and mail it to the government. The American people will vote down taxes overnight. Well, here's the thing. So the, why am I saying all this? What your check is before the taxes are taken out is your increase. That's what you made. That's your money. Because I get the question, do you tithe on gross or net? Well, all of it's your money. So you tithe on gross. It's all your money. Just because the government demands three times what our God demands doesn't change the fact that that's your money. You tithe on your increase. Where do the tithes go? The tithes go to the storehouse for, for the operation of the church and the ministries of the church. We just had a meeting yesterday with our staff and our department heads about making sure that we're accomplishing what we're, we're set out to accomplish. I say this stuff every year. We have meetings about this every year, and then it kind of sifts through the cracks by late fall, okay? But we're not letting that happen this year. Um, our ministries and our church, our departments and our ministries and our church will be about going outside the doors of this church, outside the walls of this church, and reaching people in the community. That's part of where our money is going. A lot of it, maybe some of you don't know, our mission stuff, I, many of you give to missions, but it's not even half of what we send out every month to missions. That's why I'm always encouraging not just give to missionaries, but also just give to our missions department. We're going to give that money to missions anyway, because that's who we are. But it'd be nice. It'd be closer to pink maybe than red. But here's part of the thing, and you may not know this. Uh, 75% of all of our missions giving goes to least reach and unreached people groups. We're very intentional about that, because that's the lost. That's where we're putting, that's where we're going to always, it's always been, long before I got to Briargate, this has always been, I know, God's direction for the church. As we have to be about the loss. We have to be about the loss. Well, that's where some of our finances go. Some of the finances go to electricity. Some of the finances go to my salary. Those are the things that the tithe goes to. Okay? Because I have people say, well, well, I want my tithe to go to this department. Or I want my tithe to go to the youth department. Okay, and I understand that. Because you want to make that decision as an adult. But if you're asking me, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture doesn't say that it goes to a department or to a specific thing. It goes into the storehouse. He says right here, um, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in the temple. And that means the taking care of the temple. Tithe, if you want to be biblical about this, tithe is not designated. It's, it's given to the storehouse. And that's very clear even in... Um, uh, in the Mosaic Law, okay? It's about the storehouse. Now, if you say, well, I still want to do what you want. I'm just telling you because I get this question. It's supposed to go to the storehouse. Now, offerings that he mentions here, where do offerings go? Wherever you want. Offerings go wherever you want. And there's not even like um, limitations in Scripture to this. You say, I want my offerings to go to the youth department. Okay, they go there. It's fine. This is why, this is part of the thing with the building fund. And, and also, let me give you what I believe is God's economy and what we're going to operate as Church of Briargate. The priority financially, scripturally for us as Christians is you tithe. Okay? We're all supposed to be doing that because we're being obedient Christians. If you're not, I know this sounds 
um, attacking the way I say it, but it's simple. If you're not tithing, you're not being obedient. Okay, that's how simple that is. Everything after that, you make your decisions. This is why, this is the church economy of how we look at this, because I believe it's the biblical economy. The next thing is that you give to missions. We want every person in our church giving to missions. If you never give a penny to the building, we want you giving to missions because you are spiritually part of an investment of souls across the planet. And I'm guaranteeing when you step before God, he's going to mention that. This is God's economy, okay? Then we get to the building. This is why you're not going to ever hear a strong push for the building. This is the way I look at it. We know we need the building. We know we got to do this. I finally am getting get to meet with the bank this week. We've been trying to do this for a month, talk to the bank, but they're, they're slippery. And, um, but we're going to talk to the bank this week. Is it this week? It is this week. Okay, I want to make sure I wasn't lying. Um, we are talking to the bank this week. Um, and see if we can afford this. We either can or we can't. This is actually part of this. If, if more names we have on this and more people that have already shown they're giving to the building, makes it easier for us to balance this out within, the, within our finances. But, but here's the reality of this. If you say, well, I don't believe in the building, okay, then don't give to the building. If you say, I do believe in this, then give to the building. It really is that simple. It's not, it's not a challenging thing. Um, here's one of the things that we're very intentional about around here when it comes to finances. We don't, we're not going to put a big emotional plea and try to do all this kind of stuff. In fact, I'm very particular about that. The, the only people that you will hear really talking about, please give, is missionaries. Even including me. I don't get, I don't get up and show you pictures of, of dogs huddling in the snow so that you will give to our building fund. Why? Because that's manipulation, and that's how our, our limited human fleshly side does things. We feel, instead of listening to God, praying, and doing what God says. So we're not going to show that kind of stuff. We're not going to have this plea where somebody stands up and says, I gave $100 of the building fund, and God gave me six houses. I, we're not going to do that stuff. Here's what we're going to do. We need the building. This is the budget please contribute. And that's going to be it. And any of you guys that have been around here a long time, you know that's who we are. I'm not going to, I'm not going to beg and all that kind of stuff. Partly, partly because I don't think it makes sense. If I have to beg people to do what God is trying to tell them to do, then that makes me the idiot. That also makes me not obedient. Okay? So offerings, wherever you want them to go. Whatever you want to do with that. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That's just the church. So there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. And the only place in scripture he says this, put me to the test. I've said this to so many people over the years. If you will get a good, healthy, biblical uh, direction of tithing in your life and start that, if that, six months later, if you are worse off than you are now, come and tell me. I'll publicly announce that. We'll make videos for you and everything. I've never, ever had that happen. Why? Because I'm not the one who designed the economy. God did. And he said, put me to the test. Doesn't mean you're going to be rolling in cash. Although that kind of is what the scripture says. But it does say he is going to provide for you. Try him. 
Guys, if you're on the fence and you've never done this or you're thinking about this or maybe you've been resistant to it, pray about this, talk to God about this, and just do what he says. You'll be amazed at how much more you have by, by giving away more. That's a weird way to say that. This is the way I always say it. You can do more on the 90% than you can on the 10, 100%. You just can. How many of you, that you, you know that to be true? You have examples and stories. Yes. Guys, we know this. doesn't mean it's easy. Sometimes, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes you stand in that church and God says, give everything in your wallet, and you're like, mm-hmm. God, I already tithed. This is above the tithe. God's like, what? I didn't add that up. Are you sure? One of the things that I think is integral to understanding church thinking, and this is, this is very strong within a lot of church. In fact, it was the, uh, it was the uh, paradigm when I got here to Church of Bargate, is you do all this tithing and all this stuff, and then you spend all that money on all the people in the church. That's a very um, unhealthy way to approach this. All of, the, all of the teenagers in the church would go to youth camp for free because, um, well, their parents tithed. Guys, that's unhealthy. We're supposed to be doing this to support the work of the ministry, the things we're trying to accomplish, souls we're trying to see get saved. I've seen churches where all they do is they spend all their money on their own church, on their own building. I was a youth pastor of a church like that, my very first church. They had thrones on the platform that I was supposed to sit in because I was a youth pastor. I'm not exaggerating. These were huge, big, white thrones. And I'm the only staff member on staff, a very large church, by the way, about 1,000 people. I was the only staff member, which told you my job description. So I would go and sit in these thrones, and I was like, you know, this huge big here, and the armrests are up here, and I felt like a little, I felt like a little kid. And we spent thousands of dollars on those thrones. <clears throat> Show me crazy. I'll tell you something else that church had, these huge big white chairs in the foyer. And I'd gone over to across the road, and I was, I was um, uh, going, there was apartments and all this stuff, and I was going over there, and I was witnessing all these little kids. I wasn't the children's pastor. We didn't have one. It was children's leader. But all these kids were over there every day, and I, I, I just, it was fun. And so I'd go over there, and I'd play ball with all these kids and do all this kind of stuff. And these kids started coming to church, like 40, 50, 60, and they're minority kids, all this kind of stuff. They were dirty. They were they lived in these small little apartments. Their parents were poor, all this stuff. But man, we had a good time. And so they all came over to church. And one of them got up in one of those big white seats in the foyer. And the pastor's wife went over and grabbed him by the arm and jerked him out of that seat and said, don't get that seat dirty. Don't ever sit in that seat again. And I thought, a church that has a seat that a kid can't sit in, that seat should be burned Kids should be able to sit in any chair in this, in this whole church. Sit in, go sit in my office chair. I don't care. Some of the, in fact, some of the Royal Rangers, they sit in there on Wednesday nights and they stink. They <laughs> smell bad. They smell up my office. I'm just kidding. It's not you guys. It's the other ones. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Guys, what kind of church? What kind of church thinks like that? We want everything pretty and nice and everything perfect but we don't care about people. We're missing the point. I am digressing. Luke chapter 21, verse 1. 
When Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. He went over and sat by the collection box to pay attention. You think he's not paying attention to what you're doing financially? He only did it this one time. Remember what Malachi said, he's the same today and forever. He's a God that doesn't change the way he says it. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have a, they've given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she ha- is, has given everything she has. So if the widow given everything she has is over here, and, and people giving a little bit out of their surplus is over here, where are you in that scale? We talked a lot about this Wednesday night, the attitude of giving, what it means to be a giving person. Tithing is the basics, Matthew 23. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. He calls the church leaders names. He calls them hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. And I say, well, pastor, you're trying to convince us to tithe. This seems to be going the other direction. It's, it's not. See, if you're not careful, money becomes a religious thing for you. I've seen this in every setting. Well, I gave this um, extra money to, to this department or whatever in the church. Like there's a, a kickback for that, like a bonus or something. Like I, like I, gotta, I, I can punch your card and say, you got, you got 40 extra bonus points in heaven. <laughs> if you would have given 30,000, two clicks. We do this kind of stuff. We play games with this. And he says, but the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes. Jesus said that. So when somebody says... Tithing is not a New Testament principle. Take them right here to Matthew 23, 23. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides. You strain water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a candle, a camel. Those are both not okay to eat according to Mosaic law. Do <laughs> you know that? Actually, both of those are mentioned uh, in Mosaic law. So stand with me if you would. Here's my, here's my suggestion. Wherever you are in this, ask God to give you an open heart to what he wants you to do. If you're already a tither, um, I do this. I do this three or four times a year for different reasons. I won't go through them all. But I'll go through and add up and make sure I'm tithing properly. One of the reasons is, I just don't want to miss what God was, got planned for me. I don't want to, because of some oversight or because of maybe some... Maybe selfish moment when I was thinking, I don't, I mean, you can put whatever you want in there. God, I just want to be obedient to you, and this is important to me. And so I'll, I'll go and, and add up, make sure that, I, that I'm right. If I ever come up less, I'm like, ah, it's not right. And I just keep tithing what I'm doing. If I come up more, I'll tithe more. I do that. I, I can prove that to you. But here's the thing I want you to say, God, help me do what you want me to do. Help me be obedient. If you personally struggle um, financially, I'm saying being obedient financially. Ask God to help you with this. He'll show you. He'll do it. You're not by yourself. He, he will help you through this. Okay? Other things like missions, building fun and stuff like that. Pray. Ask God. God, what do you want me to do? Hey, if you, if you want to give to the building fund, monthly put this on it. The little piece. The little piece is yours. The big piece is the church's. Okay? And um, I think is somebody going to be standing? You got it? Okay. Somebody standing by the door. Stephen's got a, a plate back there. 
so as people walk by Stephen, you need to do this, and you look at the plate, and you need to look at them in the eyes. Look at the plate, look them in the eyes. And if they don't put anything in, watch them as they walk by. Okay? Because we don't want to put any pressure on anybody. Guys, think about this and pray about this. Right? God can do some big stuff when we say, I'm on board. It's pretty, pretty easy. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you because you actually have something called an economy, God. And you included us in it. And not only that, but you have allowed us to be partakers, but then blessed partakers in this thing. God, all of that, you didn't have to do any of that. But you do because you're amazing, you're big, you love us, you're looking for ways to bless us. You're looking for ways to do things. But God, you also want us to be humbled before you and you want us to be obedient. You want our hearts and our minds and our, and our, and our wallets in line with you. So God, I, I am on, in the place where I'm very thankful for this. Lord, if there's, if there's somebody here that is struggling, saying, I just don't know if I can do this. God, you open up their heart. You show them. You show them. And God, and I've seen you do this so many times. When they start doing this, that week you will amaze them. I've seen this so many times, Lord God. So, so just, just bless us with your presence. Bless us with your power. Bless us with knowledge. Bless us with discernment. Bless us with understanding. Bless us with the passion to give. God, we commit all this to you. About all this to you. God, I pray for, pray that everybody in our church will, will tithe. God, I pray that everybody in our church will give to missions. And then, God, I, put, I pray that you put it on the hearts of everybody if and what, they, what you want them to do with the building. God, we commit it all to you in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. As we said in the announcements, I said earlier, if you're new around here, you're welcome to come to my house for lunch. If uh, you're an old timer around here, don't do that. Don't. Today's not your day. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you an opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Tell, tell somebody Jesus loves them. God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they're here and go have a wonderful, beautiful afternoon. We'll see you Wednesday night.